Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 266 and Super Bowl week. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Yeah, it's Super Bowl week in America. And it's another week of violence around the globe. And another week of total and complete chaos in Washington. And even Super Bowl week is a time to stay vigilant. Some of them may have policy differences. Some of them have been very clear with me. They have political differences with the bill. They say it's the wrong time to solve the problem or let the presidential election solve this problem. In fact, I had a popular commentator four weeks ago that I talked to that told me flat out, before they knew any of the contents of the bill, any of the contents, nothing was out at that point, that told me flat out, if you try to move a bill that solves the border crisis during this presidential year, I will do whatever I can to destroy you because I do not want you to solve this during the presidential election. By the way, they have been faithful to their promise and have done everything they can to destroy me in the past several weeks. That's Republican Senator from Oklahoma, James Langford, speaking the truth, saying the quiet part out loud trying to move something forward on behalf of the American people and maybe trying to be a voice of common sense and reason in a time of chaos and clusterfuckery. Because the truth is, we're eating our own. In Congress, they're eating their own. Republicans are eating their own. Democrats are eating their own. And Americans are eating their own. And our enemies are celebrating. When our Congress can't get together to pass simple budgets and get basic things done. When they fight amongst themselves instead of fighting our enemies. Like when they keep creating total and complete fiascos. Like a sham attempt to impeach the Department of Homeland Security Secretary. Instead of actually passing a border bill, actually sending funding to Ukraine, actually sending funding to Israel, or actually getting anything done other than fighting with each other. And all leaders are responsible, but especially leaders in key leadership positions. It's Super Bowl week, so we know that during this week especially, quarterbacks are the key. That leader's going to have his hands on the ball in the critical moment that will decide the game. And the same is true for any country or any Congress. Whether it's Zelensky, Putin, Netanyahu, Biden, or Speaker Johnson. When the ball is in their hand, the future is decided. And right now, Speaker Johnson makes every day look like a butt fumble. The dude fumbles every opportunity to try to lead America forward again and again. And if he keeps this up, he's going to go down as the worst QB we've ever had in the role of Speaker of the House. He's making Nancy Pelosi look like Tom Brady. He's making John Boehner look like Peyton Manning. This Super Bowl week in America is coming in a year to end all years. This is a year that will determine the fate of the rest of the world. The stakes really are that high, and we're going to get into it coming up with our guest. 
Because there's lots of folks in America talking about civil war. And I don't think that's likely. But there aren't enough folks talking about World War III, which is much more likely, and in some ways is kind of already underway. But this is no game. This is about the future of American national security and about the future of global security. 2024, the entire year of 2024, is the Super Bowl of our time. And stakes have never been higher. Yeah, this is no game. But the electoral games continue as the primaries happen across the country, most of which are totally decided already and will ultimately end up nominating Biden and Trump to face off next fall. But there are insights in every single one of them. There was a South Carolina primary this weekend that you probably missed. And Biden rolled, as he should and as expected. And Dean Phillips confirmed he's a total non-factor, losing to Marion Williamson. Biden had 96% of the vote. Williamson had 2.1%. And Phillips comes in with a lowly 1.7%. So can we stop with this Dean Phillips shit already? He is a total non-factor. Now, RFK Jr., on the other hand, is a factor. Like it or not, think he's crazy or not, this guy could end up getting 20% of the popular vote or more. And we're going to continue to focus on that in the next couple of weeks. But we're also going to keep our focus on Nevada, which also had a primary that you probably didn't see or track on. The Republican primary happened where Nikki Haley got just 31% of the vote. And a lot of folks in the media were saying she got lambasted, she got destroyed. But who she lost to is pretty important. She didn't lose to Trump. She lost to, quote, none of these candidates. None of these candidates got 63% of the ballots, which I think says a whole lot more about how people feel about all the candidates than how they feel necessarily about Biden or Trump or Haley. 63% of Nevada GOP voters voted for none of the above which is reflective of the frustration that exists in this country, especially among independents, who are now 49% of this country and growing. We are the most important and the fastest growing segment of the electorate in America. We are the future, and we're not playing games. We are going to determine the ultimate outcome in this Super Bowl of all years. In a new Wisconsin poll, shows that while Trump and Biden are nearly tied, Nikki Haley is ahead of Biden by 15 points. This survey strengthens Nikki Haley's electability argument in the GOP presidential primer. But she's not running for the general election. She's running for the GOP nomination. And that's not a rational process. And she's going to continue to get pummeled. But this poll also shows the truth that Nikki Haley is a better general election candidate for the GOP than Trump, especially given her appeal among independents, as was glaringly revealed in New Hampshire, and we've covered on this show. When independents have a voice, they speak loudly, and they have consistently spoken in favor of Haley and against Trump. And I think if they went head-to-head, Haley would get a higher percentage of independents than Biden. But that's unlikely to happen. Unless something happens to Trump, which has been Nikki Haley's game all along. She's not playing to be QB1. 
she's playing to be QB2, the quarterback that stands ready in case the quarterback goes down. Nikki Haley is not trying to be Patrick Mahomes. She's trying to be Blaine Gabbert. Do you know who Blaine Gabbert is? Blaine Gabbert is the 33-year-old backup to Patrick Mahomes. He's QB2 for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's the guy who stands ready if something happens to Mahomes. And that's unlikely to happen. But if it does, you'll see Blaine Gabbert coming off the sidelines and making himself known to all of America as QB2 for the Kansas City Chiefs. And you know what? After this last couple of weeks and months, it's nice to have a conversation that all Americans can have that's not about politics. That's part of why I like the Super Bowl. It's a time where you can talk to just about anybody from just about any background about something you all share. That's the beautiful American invention that is the Super Bowl. It doesn't mean that there's not still war in Ukraine. It doesn't mean that there's not still fighting and dying in Israel and Gaza. It doesn't mean that the Houthis aren't still attacking American troops in the Red Sea and in other places around the region. But it does mean that we can have a conversation about something we all share. And there's no guest that I'd rather have that conversation with than a three-time returning champion, one of the most important authors, voices of reason, and consciences of our time, my friend, Mr. Matt Gallagher. If Matt Gallagher was a football player, he probably wouldn't be a quarterback. I think he'd be one of those linebackers that really is beloved by players and coaches and fans. One of those gritty linebackers that occasionally catches an interception but gets like 100 tackles a year. He'd be somebody like Lions great Chris Spielman, a guy who grinded it out, had integrity, and got things done. That's Matt Gallagher. Also, with a little bit of humor and a little bit of cynicism to keep us all laughing, smiling, and reflecting. Matt's an Army veteran who was a scout platoon leader in Iraq, He's been to Ukraine to train Ukrainian civilians to fight Putin. And he's been an internationally recognized author of novels Empire City and Youngblood and the classic Iraq war memoir Kaboom. He's written for Esquire, ESPN, The New York Times, and many others. And now he's got a fantastic new novel called Daybreak that's set in Ukraine in 2022. We're going to talk about America and how fucked up America really is right now. We're going to talk about if the U.S. has gotten soft. We're going to talk about the stakes in Ukraine and here at home. And as a Nevada resident, formerly, we're going to talk to him about what we actually learned from the Nevada primaries. And we're going to talk Super Bowl. Yes, we're going to talk about Taylor Swift. And we're going to make our predictions for the big game. And if you're a Patreon member, you're going to get extra special content with me and Matt. So if you're not a Patreon member, sign up now. And if you are, my deepest thanks on pushing us through this Super Bowl year. You can, of course, find out more at independentamericans.us, where you also can get video of this conversation. Be sure to go there and do your part, and be sure to, of course, subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and share it far and wide. 
So here it is, my conversation with my friend, Matt Gallagher. Welcome to a conversation about the Super Bowl. Welcome to a conversation about America. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 266. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. This is a crazy fucking time. And I don't even know where to start. And sometimes I just need to take a big step back and have a conversation with somebody I really like, who's really smart, who I'm interested in hearing from. And that's what we got. We got a returning champion, a two-time champion. This will be his third visit coming during uh, potentially the emergence of a civil war in America, uh, the the global unrest and Super Bowl week. We have the great and powerful Matt Gallagher is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, Paul. Great to be back. Um, first of all, thank you for your flexibility because this morning in my house was a total and complete shit show uh, where I have sick kid puking, maybe has COVID. We've had strep and everything else in the last couple of weeks. And as a dad, I know you can relate, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, my wife's uh, assistant principal. We have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So somebody's something's always going on here. And uh, also, we have a one-year-old puppy now, which adds to the chaos. So uh, no, all good. Totally, totally understand. Uh, I just hope the, hope the little guy's feeling a little bit better with, uh, with some good meds right now. He's he's watching Kung Fu Panda 4, nice. uh, 3, 3, and anticipating 4. So a little trash truck and Kung Fu Panda and staying home from school, I think, is, is going to be just what he needs. Um, I got to ask you, puppy with the little ones, good idea, terrible idea? Uh, to, to have them? <laughs> to get the puppy, not the kids. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, once we get over, uh, it's a golden retriever on top of it. So, like, very friendly, very active dog. Uh they're all best friends and they're all maniacs together. So I think long-term it was a good plan, but uh, uh, short-term I did not anticipate just how chaotic it would be. I mean, chewed up Legos, you know, this dog's stomach has got to be half Lego at this point. Um, and uh, I don't know, like our last, our last golden was just like calm and mellow. It's just a different relationship. And, and you, you know, dogs are like kids. They come out with ready-made personalities and this one is, I don't know, I, it's, he's, he's stubborn as hell, which I respect, uh, except when he's not listening, but, but I will say he, he, he loves the boys a lot. And, and, uh, you will have those moments, like when they're cuddled up on a cat on the couch together, watching a movie or something, you're like, okay, this is, this is try to hold on to this moment next time you're about to like lose your mind sh- shouting and nobody's listening. That, that that's kind of how I feel every day. And, and, and I think that's how a lot of people in America feel right now, especially those of us that are smart and maybe patriotic and uh, reasonable and not partisan hacks or trying to make a buck off of the collapse of the world. And, and I, I want to get into everything. I want to get into your new book daybreak, which is coming out soon that everybody should check out. I want to talk about Ukraine. I want to talk about Biden. I want to talk about the Super Bowl because you're great to talk about 
all things culture. And I really just want to have a conversation about America. But let's uh, start with the question I ask everybody. It's been almost a year since you joined us. Where are you and how are you? Uh, doing fine. I'm, I'm at my home in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, book's coming out in two weeks. So kind of you know, trying to juggle dad life, take my kids to school, come back and, and uh, work on an op-ed about Ukraine, um, uh, walk the dog, uh, answer some you know, PR emails from my, my, my publisher. Um, you know, I'm doing a bit of a book tour uh, going across the country. So trying to schedule all those flights and all, the, all that travel. Um, and, uh, you know, then look at the clock. It's time to go pick up the kids, kids from school. So, uh, a lot of balls in the air right now, just trying to, you know, trying to, trying to remember the old army adage, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Uh, just, you know, just to get, get to the next task and get through it. We had our friend Sebastian Young around a couple years ago, and I think it was during COVID and he, he described like trying to get shit done, or maybe it was writing. And he said, it was like trying to go cross country with a with a kid on your lap or a monkey on your lap. I forgot what he said, but like, you know, the chaos of it all. And I think it feels like it feels chaotic for everybody in America. And maybe that's part of why our country is not really good at strategic thinking or planning right now, or even getting things done. So how, I mean, like a, a no shit question from a guy who I respect and admire, how the, how the hell are you get a novel done? Like, how, how do you, how do you do it? How do you get something that requires focus and thinking done in a chaotic environment with it with a with a great wife who's an educator two kids the dog just the all of it how did what, what's your pathway to getting stuff done matt this is my fourth book my third novel and uh it, i don't know it was not my previous experience with with writing fiction it just kind of tumbled out of me you know it's it's set in ukraine it's about the early days of the war um i think there's an urgency to it like it was maybe i i could feel like it was maybe my small way to to try to contribute to this, to try to wake people up to the uh, to the human story, the human elements of, of what's occurring over there. You know, I'm not a geopolitical expert. I, I you know, I, 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 I'm not a retired general, obviously, so I, I can't uh, can't talk at that level. But I'm, I think, pretty good at, at kind of rooting out um, everyday human stories uh, in the midst of in the midst of war, in the midst of ruin. Um, and it, I don't know, the whole process just kind of felt right. I would get up early. Um, you know, six, and I'm not a morning person, but uh, 6 a.m. the alarm would go off. And, you know, I knew I uh, had a couple hours, brew some coffee and, 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 and get to work. Um, I, God bless my wife. Uh, in the midst of writing this, I, I was able to escape for a month to the Hemingway Pfeiffer Museum, uh, which is where Hemingway wrote A Farewell to Arms. Uh, and uh, I was the writer in residence there. So I had a whole month um, uh, over the summer. So she had the, uh, my, I had to pay for my mother-in-law's plane ticket. Uh, to uh, here to our house to help watch the kids, but you know that was that was huge. Um, so uh, I owed my wife and my mother in law tremendously for, for that month because I, I made made a lot of big important gains in that first draft over the, over that residency. Um, what does that place look like? What is what does it look like where Heming where you wrote where Hemingway wrote? I mean i I went on a fellowship once to the Rockefeller Foundation. It may have been when we were working together, and I went to. Um, Bellagio in Italy, and I stayed in a suite that the JFK stayed in for one night while he was waiting for a meeting with the Pope because the Pope made him wait. And it was this, it was a it was a writing residency, right? But but what was Hemingway's writing space like? Slightly different. Uh, it, it's uh, rural Arkansas, and uh, it's the old the the museum's this old home and this barn behind the home 
where you know his second wife he, ma- he married his second wife largely for money, uh, and they came they came they were kind of this very rich family in this rural part of Arkansas. Um, they'd moved there from uh, St. Louis, uh, uh, I believe, for the for the dad's health. They made their money in uh, pharmaceuticals, I think. And uh, uh, Hemingway was kind of hated it, um, uh, but he, they had this barn that they turned into kind of a, a writing space for him. They still have his desk. They still have his typewriter. And, you know, he would wake up and, and knock out a, a large part of Farewell to Arms. Um, he's not fin- fondly recalled by the local populace, uh, both because of how he ended up treating this wife uh, over the course of their marriage, uh, but also because after he would get done writing, he, he, he would just kind of, you know, in Hemingway style, get hammered with all the local young men and walk around shirtless in town, um, which, which is how they remember him as just kind of this shirtless drunk. Uh, so, uh, it, it's, it, he, his name has a mixed reputation in, in, in the area, but, uh, a, a real beautiful museum. Uh, the residency was just a really unique opportunity and yeah, yeah. I, I sat at the desk and, uh, worked on my novel, the same place Hemingway worked on a feral to arms. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, ca- I didn't summon his ghost though, even though, even when I tried. A, a younger Matt might've been shirtless roaming around drinking in, <laughs> in, 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 in Arkansas, but we've all, uh, <laughs> maybe mellowed or focused a bit. Let me ask you a question, Matt, that I want to just ask straight up. Um, How fucked up is America right now? Because it feels very fucked up. And for me, it feels like every day I wake up and see another kind of dysfunction on the basics, right? We're having this conversation when the border bill stalls in Congress, funding's being revoked for not only Ukraine, but now for Israel, there's infighting constantly. I mean, I even feel like roads aren't getting paved and the migrant crisis. It feels like America can't do anything anymore. And at the same time, we're, 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 we're doom scrolling and focused on shit. And I hate to sound like the old guy who's like, you know, what the hell is going on in America? But I, I had this insight about Biden where I feel like Biden is America right now. Because maybe America is over the hill. Maybe America is too old. Maybe America is beaten down, but has a really good heart and really cares, but just can't move fast enough. I feel like especially our politics just can't move fast enough for these times. And Biden, in many ways, people say, you know, he's too old for us right now, but maybe he is us right now. What's your take? How fucked up is America, Matt Gallagher? I think we're on the edge of being really fucked up. I, you know, being a a father almost forces you to be a dogged optimist. Um, uh, I do think we can get out of this, uh, but we're going to have to adapt to the, to this the pace of this world. Uh, you know, we have co- senators and congressmen spent months trying to work on this bipartisan bill for the border that would also allow Ukraine to get aid. And they were making headway. It it was taking too like typical DC. It was taking too long, but they were getting somewhere, and it was it was going to pass, and it was going you know it was it was going to be something. And all of a sudden, Trump uh, puts the kibosh on it because it could be seen as a Biden win. Well, this is so this this inaction is is what happens when you elect people who are anti governance, right? Like I mean, this is these aren't even political issues. We're not debating percentage of of tax bra- uh, uh, tax brackets. We're not de- debating. The particulars of a Ukraine aid bill. Uh, this is what the, inaction is. What you get when you elect people who are anti-government, right? So, at a baseline level, um, if we want change, we as voters are going to have to stop voting for these people. 
right? Who, who, who revel in spectacle, um, who, who almost brag about not knowing the particulars, right? I mean, can, can we go a month without Marjorie Taylor Greene embarrassing herself, uh, not knowing the rules of <laughs> rules of her job, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 every time I see her on a committee, she's humiliating herself. Um, and then somehow tr tr trying to turn that into a win. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 depressing. Um, that said, um, you know, with Biden, uh, he's he's still there. You know, he 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 still I, I, he still talks about what America can can be and what it can accomplish. And I think he believes that. And if he is America, then good. You know, I, I personally, I'd rather have somebody who might be trying to force some false optimism on the rest of us than than kind of. Uh, uh, a, a cynic nihilist who said, you know, who's uh, willing, you know, willing to say, well, this failed, so everything must fail. No, no, we 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 can't we can't have that. We cannot allow it. So uh, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm not ignoring um, the headlines and 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 you know the the, the state of everything is is dark. Uh, but all we can do is 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 keep grinding through. Um, and 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 and. and I don't know. Try to remember that, you know, fighting about politics, having having partisan battles, is a normal part of a functioning democracy. That mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you just stop stop doing things. That that doesn't mean that you just well no we'll, we're going to wait till November to, to vote on this. If, if the border is a big deal, and you know I'm I'm I, I don't know if it's as big of a deal as, as as Republican senators and congressmen say it is, but some you know it it needs attention, it needs action. Then do something. Then do something. Do yeah. your job. Do your damn job. Quote Bill Belichick. Do your job. Yeah, yeah. So and, and it's a, uh, it's 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 an upside down world where Bill Belichick uh, gets rejected by the Atlanta Falcons, right? And uh, and 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 there seems to be this. It's it feels like a, like an upside down world. But you you the reason why I love talking to you, and I put you in a category like Sebastian and a couple other folks I've had on the show before is because you're a conscience for America. You see the things and can put it together and connect the dots in, in stories and in your writing in a way that a lot of other folks can't. I think you've been that conscience now for, you know, over almost 20 years, right? And, and at the same time, you know politics, you know policy, you know culture, you know sports. Uh, and, and you spent a lot of time in your younger years in Nevada, uh, so I got to ask you, you know, South Carolina primary just happened. New Hampshire primary just happened. Nevada primary just happened. What is your takeaway? Like, what did we, what did, what did, what is Matt Gallagher when, as, as someone who spent a lot of your life in that state? What did you, what did it tell you about that state? And what did it tell you about America? And the fact that frankly, nobody even noticed it happened, right? I mean, most of America doesn't even know there was a, there were two primaries in the last week, but as a resident expert here on this show on that state, what are your insights? Well, um, you know, if you're a Haley supporter, I don't know how you look at that and feel good about, feel good about it. Um, and it, it's, it's such this, such a bizarre situation. You know, you look at any, any general election poll, Nikki Haley probably wins next November. I mean, you know, there's there's a, a, a decent amount of time, but she seems to be polling against Biden very well. And it is just so fascinating to me that Republican Republicans are in this state where they're not going to they're not voting for the most elect like, the most electable person. It's more about some kind of revenge. It's more about the Trump cult. It doesn't make sense to me. Like if if you genuinely want a Republican in office, vote for the one who's clearly going to win. But that's 
you know, whatever. I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not a Republican, so, you know, they can, they can do what they want. And, you know, when they lose again, they'll complete, you know, all the, we'll, we'll get a whole new series of complaints and allegations of it being rigged and blah, blah, blah. Just or another insurrection <laughs> or another insurrection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not that. Yeah. Hopefully not that, but yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. you're right. Um, as for Nevada, you know, Nevada is, is a really fascinating state. Um, it, it always ends up being slightly more blue than it polls because of the culinary union, which was a, a big part of the old Harry Reid machine uh, that, that is largely uh, still kind of held together. Um, it is a very, uh, uh, it does have real, real conservative streaks in it. Um, this, that said, you know, it's been kind of electing the same type of politician governor for the last 50 years. They're middle of the road, Casino approved, uh, Republican or Democrat, sil silver hair, silver, silver hair, uh, middle-aged man. Um, but it doesn't matter which party, um, which I find fascinating. If I had to guess, um, it's the kind, it's the kind of state that might flip for Haley real close. Um, but it, I, I, I see it sticking with Biden if it's Biden and Trump. Um, there's the population has been swelling in, in my old County, Washoe County, where Reno, Nevada is. And that's just going to be slightly blue. And that coupled with the uh, Clark County where Vegas is, you know, the, the rural counties, which are predominantly conservative, just aren't going to be enough to, to turn that tide. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a classic, classic example of like, if Republicans want to win, you have a candidate that could flip a, flip a state that voted for Biden last time. Trump's not going to win it, though. He's not. Like, I, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand if he lost last time, how anything that's occurred since then is going to convince more voters to come back over? It, like it, it, I don't know. It, it, well, it doesn't, I think that's, it, yeah, I think that's a, I think it's a really great insight into the way this election may be going because I, I share that view and I think that Trump is continuing to drive away independence that we've talked about a lot in this show. We saw it in New Hampshire, especially, and I think Nevada is the latest example of the Trump problem, which is driving away independence. And and, and this Trump situation with the GOP has been like their Hillary Clinton. Right. When so many of us were saying around the country, you don't understand how much people hate Hillary Clinton. They were like, no, but she's great. And here's all the reasons why she can win. But there was this deep hatred for her. Right. That comes from a lot of stuff. And whether it's fair or not, especially those of us who spend time beyond New York and California and D.C. understand that. And that that's kind of what Trump is facing now on the flip side. Right. But he's facing this deep mistrust and hatred. And, and I think that's that's stacking up for him. Um, and maybe for many of them, it's not about winning, right? Similarly, it's about blowing things up. And it's like an American insurgency. It's like a crusade. It's like a social movement. It's like a religion more than it is about winning elections, right? So to that point, I want to I come to Ukraine in a second, but the Civil War conversation. This is a conversation that's happening now, right? I've got very serious people who email me sometimes and say, hey, could this happen, right? And and, and I guess I want to ask you, I think the violence, the threat of violence is real. The threat of domestic violence is real. The frustration is real. We've talked about it in so many different ways about how there is especially a disaffected um, group of men of a certain demographic who tend to have access to guns and tend to be disconnected, who might be predisposed to violence, who could be rallied on some level. Now, whether that develops into a civil war is another discussion, but 2024, Matt Gallagher, you've written about war, you understand war, you're a student of history, civil war, what the fuck? I think what you just said, drawing the line between armed violence and civil war is very important. Uh, the threat of armed violence is very real. 
the, the, you know, go back a few years to the nineties, you know, some, some radical army veteran like Timothy McVeigh blowing up a federal building. I think that's very plausible, right? Um, it just takes a couple freaks, uh, uh, with nothing to lose. Um, and, uh, a lot of innocent pe- blood can, can, can be spilled. Civil war. I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it here. You know, I, I spent time in Iraq during the Sunni Shia civil war. My college thesis was on the Irish civil war. Frankly, like I'm generalizing somewhat, but you know, on a baseline level, we are just too fat and comfortable. You know, most, most civil wars in the history of the world emerge out of some real dire economic circumstances on top of the political climate, um, on top, on, on top of, uh, you know, various part partisan and cultural issues, cultural divides. Um, People need to be like hungry and needy to be willing to like go shoot their neighbor by and mm. large, you know, mm. uh, on, on the scale that, w- that would need to result in a civil war. Uh, you know, the American civil war, a big part of that, uh, you know, most Confederate soldiers didn't own slaves. Um, that doesn't mean that their economic livelihood wasn't tied to slavery. Right. So they, they did feel like their everyday lives were at stake. Right. Um, uh, that played a huge factor, maybe not necessarily on the top strategic decision level, but in terms of filling the ranks, in terms of actual fighting and engaging the civil war. And I just, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think we're there, you know? Um, yeah, some f- loud, obnoxious, pr- uh, proud boys can show up and, and, and cause some serious issues, but in terms of like a sustained engagement, no, there's just, there's just not enough, there's not enough people and, and, and People want to go back and watch Netflix. They want to, they, you know, they, they want to, they want to play, they, they want to play uh, Nintendo. Uh, they want to order DoorDash. Like we're, we're just, we're too fat and happy for, for that kind of like dystopian um, climate to, to persist, I think. Can we stay on that? Because I think this is part of the, maybe one of the most urgent issues in America. And I think, you know, you've got these like hard asses, like the David Goggins of the world, right? And the Jockos who are like, everybody needs to be more disciplined. And that, you know, that's a popular industry right now. Sure. But I think it, it is touching on something that's at the core of what many of us see and actually, I think, can recognize, especially if you've had a worldview, if you've been around, you know, places of conflict, we are too fat and comfortable, right? Like there's a lot of folks who feel like we have too much to lose. We're too soft. And, and I've been really thinking about this a lot. Matt, and I want to get your thoughts on this, you know, our, 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 uh, our, our thought that we can be immune from the threats of Putin, that we can stay out of the Middle East, that we don't have to confront the threat of China, that we can lose only a couple soldiers every once in a while. I think those days are over, right? And I think it's a reality that a pre- our president is not addressing. I think most politicians are failing to address. I think someone needs to send, stand up to and say to the American people, we're going to have people who die. We're going to have to pay a price. We're going to have to pay an economic price. We're going to have to pay a military price. We're going to have to pay a human blood price to live in this world and to exist in this world as we do. And if you're not willing to pay that price, we're going to go down. Like, I think it needs to be said in this framework because the Europeans and others are looking at us like like Island America saying, you think you can keep this up forever. But um, how do you think about that, about this time in America where we do feel fat and happy and it feels like we're like a step away from a rattling, right? An October 7th moment or something that kind of rips us back into the reality of what the rest of the world is facing in 2024. It does sometimes, especially with with things happening across the world, it does kind of feel 
like the late thirties where um, America wants to withdraw while uh, simultaneously we're needed more than ever. And uh, we, you know, it's, it's to our own best, best interest to, to engage with the world. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Yemen uh, a couple of weeks ago was a great example. Um, very clear cut um, uh, issue of uh, pirates trying to interrupt global commerce, right? Uh, 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 raiding and, and firing upon uh, commercial ships, right? This is literally why the U.S. Navy was created uh, back in the late 1700s was to stop piracy. Um, I personally like uh, having access to cheap goods at my local pharmacy uh, at, at at Target. Uh, uh, you know, this is this is part of globalization, right? Uh, part of being a fat and happy American, benefiting from global trade. Well, you you know, you you had particularly on the hard left uh, and the hard right um, that, that kind of weird horseshoe theory point where isolationists meet. Um, uh, you know, who are so used to condemning any kind of U.S. military action that suddenly. Uh, these these uh, 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 Hathi pirates are, are are freedom fighters are 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 uh, are the one you know uh, w- glorious rebels to be cheered for and you know not not oppressive maniacs um, who would you know do instantly slaughter many of the many of the Americans uh, championing them um, if given the opportunity and it was just, it was just bizarre to me because it was just like you know maybe we should. Uh, slow down uh, the global co- shipping lanes just just for a couple weeks just so these people actually see the consequences of not interve- what not intervening would be right uh, uh, you know nobody would be complaining louder that all of a sudden they have to pay you know twenty five dollars for a snickers uh, a snickers bar uh, than these same people condemning in you know any any kind of u s military action because well they must be bad because you know, I, pro- I went to a protest in, in, in once in 2004 and that formed my entire worldview for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, so, you know, that, that's just kind of one anecdote out of many, unfortunately, that's occurring in the world right now where, you know, I think you're onto something like waking Americans up to, to our, to the world and to the world's issues. Um, not just, you know, on a moral level. Um, uh, I, I think these things are important, but you know, some people don't think that way. Well, okay. How about, how, how about how it affects you? How about on a geopolitical level, uh, 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 in, impacting what you pay for at a grocery store, impacting, hey, you don't want your kid to get drafted uh, five, 10 years down the line? Then maybe you should pay, pay more attention to Ukraine and, and, and educate yourself on these issues. Because whether you like it or not, Putin is coming. These issues are coming for us. And do you want to engage with them now or do you want to stick your head in the sand and, and, and pretend, they're not, pretend they're not happening? Yep. I think it's this is one of the most important conversations that I think you and I have been having with each other and with, you know, the world for 20 years now. Right. It's kind of the civil military divide and the disconnect from the realities of of combat and conflict and pain that um, those of us who have been exposed to it profoundly in the last 20 years, we feel like Paul Revere. Right. And I still feel like that. Right. We felt like that after 9-11. Now it's upside down world where, you know, we have to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here is actually true. Right. Like we actually have to, you know, the jingoism is coming full circle. But I also go back to Biden and I know I bang on him a lot, but he's the commander in chief. And I've been doing that to every one of them for 20 years. Right. And I think that's appropriate. But I think Biden is often 
too weak and too slow. I keep saying this. He's too slow and he's too weak on Afghanistan, on Ukraine, on the Houthis, maybe on China. We'll be saying the same thing if if that's the case. But I also feel like your point about the frozen worldview is really, really, really important because sometimes Biden feels like his worldview is frozen. And I've often said, you know, maybe not in public, that the real national security advisor to Joe Biden is Bo Biden, the ghost of Bo Biden. Right. And he was so informed by Bo's experience. And once Bo died, it was frozen. Like it didn't evolve after that. Afghanistan was set. His views on the Middle East were set. And it feels like he hasn't been able to evolve since then. And now we're in this place where, you know, Ukraine is falling like his popularity. And your new book is focused on Ukraine. I've invited you and you've asked if you could read something from it. I'll let you do that whenever you think it's appropriate. But um, Ukraine is the issue, right? And you and I talk about this a lot in private conversations and with other leaders. Um, and we're we're rallying behind something that we all do believe in, the great fight of our time. And we're struggling to drag everybody forward on it. So I think we feel like this is the make or break year, right? Now, we keep talking about the election, but it does feel like this is the make or break year in Ukraine and, and in confronting Putin. I just want to let you run with the ball on Ukraine, right? And your book and and tell us about the book and what it means and what you want folks to take away from it and just, you know, unpack some of that in relation to Ukraine specifically. What's so frustrating with Ukraine is it has been a bipartisan failure. Um, you know, I think Biden and the administration made some great calls early in terms of uh, sharing, broadcasting the intelligence they had about Russian troop movements not just sharing it with Ukraine, but but announcing it to the world, right? I, um, since then, for whatever you know, when Ukraine was advancing, Jake Sullivan in particular, and 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 uh, they kind of started instituting these half measures, right? Every every aid package uh, uh, was either half filled or didn't come with everything that the Ukrainians were desperately saying that they needed. It always came to even the Himmers, you know, the, the, uh, those came too late. Everything's always. Uh, coming months too late, which you know has put Ukrainian leaders in a, a tremendously awkward position of, you know, needing to thank its benefactors, but then asking for more. Right? Uh, I, I've seen, I've heard you describe it as the mother may I phenomenon. Well, we created this, right? Because we thought we could control and man over manage, and you know, none, none of these dudes ever wore a uniform. None of these dudes have ever ever uh, shot a gun at a human being or, or or been fired upon, and I think that showed with this, right? That that kind of hubris of being able to manage a conflict. And now, year and a half, year later, uh, uh, the tables are completely turned, and the, these those same Democratic aides, to include Sullivan, are are the ones rightly barnstorming Congress, saying, you know, if we don't get this through, it might be a matter of months. Well, you know, a lot of this is on you. Like, like, you, you, yeah, you're doing the right thing now, but you still deserve all kinds of blame for letting things get to this point. Um, the anger. From Ukrainians towards America as a country uh, is real uh, towards other other European countries as well. That there's a real sense of betrayal, and it's hard to say that they're wrong about that, right? Um, last July, Biden said we would stand with Ukraine no, no matter how long it took, uh, no matter what it took, uh, something to the, that effect. You know, that was July 2023. That was not that long ago, and they the feeling of abandonment is real. I. I hope we manage to get this this aid, aid package through to prove to them that it's not, to prove to Ukraine that we are the country they need us to be, that some of them still think we are. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've been thinking a lot about 
um, George Orwell and his experiences in the Spanish Civil War in terms of you know, how that ended up kind of being a precursor for World War II that had more Western democracies engaged with more seriously at the time. Uh, World War II would not have played out the way it did because the lesson from that was to, to dictators and two autocrats was that democracies can be outweighed. They can be outlasted. They can be, um, they can be defeated um, through a combination of, of battlefield and, and, and propaganda, right? That we are, you know, what did Hitler call England? Like a nation full of shopkeepers. That's mm-hmm. pretty much pretty similar to what Putin thinks Americans are. So, you know, where this, where this, inattention comes from, I, I, I don't know. Um, I find it infuriating. You know, you talk, the closer you, I do know that the closer you get to Donbass, you know, having been to Ukraine, uh, the, 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 the more serious people take this. The, you know, there's they're the reason the Baltic states are taking this as seriously as they are, because they know they're next. Same with Poland. I mean, there are entire companies of volunteer Poles fighting for Ukraine right now, because they know they're next. And, you know, anybody that has a passing understanding of history of Eastern Europe knows Ukraine and Poland don't have, have a particularly good history amongst, amongst each other, but this is bonding them. So it, it's a make or break moment. It's, it's, it's a make or break moment for Ukraine. It's a make or break moment for America's role in the world, right? I mean, like you just referenced Afghanistan and, and um, as terrible a tragedy as that was, the withdrawal was, we had been there 20 years. Um, quitting at quitting on Ukraine after two, two and a half is would be pathetic and would be would, would be a, a flare, a giant flare to the entire world uh, that that we're not what we used to be and that we can be uh, for all our tough talk. We can and will be pushed around. Putin will be coming deeper into Eastern Europe. China. We, we all know China wants Taiwan. Right. Um, uh I can't tell you how much of an impact it was on me personally being in Eastern Ukraine and hearing from them, uh, everyday people who still believe in America and still believe that we can be a beacon of freedom and all these ideals that we talk about, they are very real and meaningful to them because they've never, they really haven't had them, right? Only the younger generation has, Mm. uh, has had a taste and, and that's why they're fighting for it. Um, a complete, completely different experience than, than my time in Iraq. Uh, and you know, there's, won't get into that cause there's a whole slew of other reasons why, but, uh, it would be a tremendous betrayal with all kinds of unforeseen consequences. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I just, I can't urge Americans enough to call their congressmen and tell them to get, get off their asses and do something about this. It, 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 it it's a drop in the bucket compared to what's being accomplished. Um, you know, you, you Ukraine. Uh, as you know, brave and tenacious as, as they are, um, they need our weapons. You know, they've they've eradicated uh, roughly thirty to forty percent of Russia's combat power in two years, uh, and and the only Americans who have died have been volunteers, right? Not 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 one of our troops have, have been killed or has even set foot in Ukraine. Uh, anybody who's any American who's been killed there has gone as a volunteer. Many of them, I think, over thirty. Uh, U.S. military veterans. I, 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 this, this is this is so clear cut. It remains so clear cut. Um, but uh, Kremlin propaganda, I think, has been ma- able to make the headway that uh, its own army just could not. Matt, I think 
you every time you're on, you 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 make a really good assessment and projection and call to action, call to arms on Ukraine. I mean, the the thing I've been thinking about is you know the civil war threat is not real, but the World War Three threat is. Right. And and that I think sure. that's the headline for me. Right. 2024. We probably won't have a civil war, but we may already have a world war. Right. And, and and be closer to that than ever before. Let me bring you back to the book, the new book. Tell me about tell us about Daybreak. Um, tell us um, what you think is most important. It's coming out February 20th. Folks can pre-order it now. I encourage them to do that as an author myself. I know that that's really key. So go on, on any book, whatever, and order a bunch of them. Um, but Matt, tell us what you think is most important to know about Daybreak. And then we're going to talk Super Bowl. But first, Daybreak. Sure. Uh, Daybreak is a novel. Uh, it's set during the early days of the invasion, February 2022. And it follows a pair of U.S. military veterans uh, into Ukraine. Uh, one, Han Lee, is eager to join the fight. Uh, he, he's found life back in the States really unfulfilling. And he, he sees this as, a, as the just cause that always eluded him. Uh, the other, uh, Luke Paxton, kind of has more muddled reasons. He's kind of been stuck in everyday civilian life too. Uh, but he hasn't been able to shake a Ukrainian woman uh, he'd, he'd once known and loved named Svetlana. Um, and he can't stop thinking about her uh, because... Ukraine's all over the news. You know, we 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 all remember those weeks when uh, uh, nothing but Ukraine was on the news, and it looked like Kiev was going to topple, and and um, there was this you know courageously uh, brave stand by the Ukrainian military. Uh, you know, so it's a, it's an everyday human story. Um, it's deeply informed by my own time over there, both as a volunteer and as a journalist. Uh, contains kind of you know emotional truths maybe that I couldn't source in my journalism or second or third hand anecdotes I heard about uh, Western uh, uh, veterans who'd gone over there to fight, fight for Ukraine that, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, for a variety of reasons, maybe they told me off the record or whatever, but I, you know, seeds were collected for this story um, kind of throughout my various trips over there. So uh, uh, it's, it's a dark love story. Um, I, I don't want to mislead it, people into thinking that this is uh, a super, super happy, uh, tale. Um, but it's real. It's honest. It, it's, um, it shows, it's a story I think of, of human grace and, and regret and, and, and courage, uh, both, both of soldiers willing to fight and die for, uh, for a country or an idea, but also civilians, um, you know, caught who by terrible geographic luck, um, are caught in a situation that they wanted nothing to do with and have no choice but to try to endure and survive it for the people they love. So uh, maybe read read the first couple pages just to give people a, a, a taste of it. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, I think a page would be great. And maybe uh, our Patreon members, if Matt's got an opportunity to stick around, I'm going to ask him a couple of follow-up questions about the book as well. But yeah, maybe, maybe a couple of, of paragraphs, if you can, that you think are most, you're doing the reading thing now, right? And here's what I tell folks too. Buy it because it's a Matt Gallagher production. Anything this man writes, you should consume, you should read, you should share because it's excellent. It's important. It's urgent. Uh, it's entertaining. It's, it's, it's all the things. Um, so please, Matt, over to you. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. This is page one of the book, page one of the daybreak. The bus pitched east through midnight black, and Luke Paxton sat with his head against the window, alone with his thoughts. Winter clawed at him through the glass, but he kept himself nestled against it. He found the tinges of outside cold bracing and wanted to keep awake. 
He wet his throat and stared out at the flurries of snow dusting the road. Dark, baleful forest lay beyond. A convoy of supply humvees crested a small hill, pushing the other way toward the border. Something sharp and hot swelled in Pax's chest. Haven't felt like this in a long time, he thought. It was thrill. It was fear. More than anything, Pax felt like someone again. They'd crossed an hour before. First had come potholes, then bunkers and checkpoints with barrels of fire licking at the night. The check checkpoints were for show, performative, barely better than nothing, and maybe not even that. Men with flashlights and slung hunt hunting rifles, a gesture at presence for the sake of itself. What they need, Pax thought, is razor wire. Some HESCO barriers staggered to force vehicles into a funnel. A machine gun on Overwatch ready to snuff out any run runaways and squirters. The basics. They'll learn, he thought. It's all new here. The bus slowed over an old bridge, reaching a village. Brittle Ukrainian sounded through a loudspeaker, reminding of the national blackout. At a bend, a tiny church glowed dim, a mural, a mural of Jesus holding a candle charting through the snow. Pax blinked and blinked, but the image stayed with him long after they left. He hadn't believed for many years, but still wanted to be a person who could. Across the aisle, Lee was draped over his assault pack, snoring away with the clean conscience of a man who knows his place in the world. Pax had dressed to blend in jeans, a simple black jacket. Lee wore a hoodie with a skull superimposed in front of crossed rifles, the word infidel screaming above the logo. He'd raised the sleeves to his elbows to show off his tattoos of flames and razor wire and old unit crests. A name tape and subdued American flag patched across his assault pack, completing the look. When Pax had teased him about it at the airport, Lee had dug in. I'll be the only Asian around for a fucking thousand miles. People need to know they're dealing with a killer. He wasn't, though. That was the whole thing. Lee's kill had eluded him through all his deployments, always seconds late to the firefight, a hesitant lieutenant at his shoulder, or a vexing, oblivious civilian standing between him and his chosen glory. It was just luck, happenstance, like so much else in combat. But Lee hadn't been able to shake the sense of lost purpose in the homeland. So now he was here to again carry the gun. We gotta be there, man, Lee had said when he'd reached out over the phone, trying to find a travel partner as crazy or bored as he was. They need people like us. They? Us? Open questions. Pax had said yes, since no one else would. He'd heard it in Lee's voice, something between despair and disgust, because he'd had no reply for Lee's next line, delivered with all the subtlety of an ice pick. What else you got going on? So, Bravo, man. Bravo. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for putting it down. We got to be there. That, that, that is uh, maybe encapsulates a lot of what you and I have been talking about over the last couple of years. I mean, I think, you know, before 9-11, I was one of many who was looking for the fight of our time. And I think we've been, many ways, Afghanistan, Iraq, we've been kind of searching for it. And now the fight of our time is here. And and the question is, do we recognize it and do we meet it, right? And your your work, again, pulls it all apart in a way that only you can, man. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing it. I hope everybody gets the book. Um, you're also one of my favorite people to talk about all things American culture. So to shift gears in an abrupt way, um, you know, 
you got to be there when it comes to the Super Bowl if you're an American, right? It's like a default fucking national holiday. Uh, and I actually love that about it, right? It feels like one of the few times Americans actually come together and have something to talk about for a couple weeks. Um, and, and that universal conversation, even with people who are not football fans, is really important. Um, every year, the Super Bowl is different, like culturally, right? We've got the Taylor Swift effect. We've got Kelsey. We've got the Mahomes dynasty. We've got so many pieces. But... Um, a big question, like what, what does this Super Bowl mean for America? Is it, is it our, is it a reflection of our tone deafness while we're having this pageantry and Ukraine is starving for weapons or is it, is it a demonstration of our grandeur? What is Matt Gallagher's take on Super Bowl 2024? Well, I, the first thing that comes to mind is that we, we've even managed to politicize this, right? That, uh, you have supposedly serious thinkers who are convinced that Taylor Swift is a CIA psyop. Uh, and, and that this is all some, you know, part of part of a scheme to uh, uh, to win the election in, in 2024. And, you know, I just want to, you know, if they had if, if these shadow men, if, if uh, shadow men in the government had this kind of power, why wouldn't they just put Trump in jail? Right. Like, 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 <laughs> why would they go through all these machinations through Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and bribing NFL refs like it? it and the, and, and the thing that the conspiracy is that Taylor Swift is a CIA agent or a right. CIA operative, right? Right, right? And right. she's here to stop Donald Trump. And this has all been manufactured to defeat Donald Trump, right? These people need need something to do. Like they, <laughs> they, they need to go volunteer at a soup kitchen. They need a dog <laughs> to take to the park. These, these, yeah. these people need something to do. They need to log off the internet and, and stop, uh, uh, stop talking to the crazy people in all the other towns because it's, it's just insane. But um, like every conspiracy, Matt, there's also like a kernel of, of 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 insight or truth, right? Which is Taylor Swift is not a fan of Donald Trump, and she's a powerful fucking force, right? Sure, and, sure, and, and they should talk, fear her. But like, yeah. it's it's not news that a liberal uh, that a liberal celebrity uh, uh, might have might have sway on on their fans. Yeah, right? we like, talked about this. I talked about this. I think with Smirkanich a couple weeks ago. Like, if the Democrats really had their shit together, they'd be recruiting Swift and Jason Kelsey to run, and they'd fucking be a whole lot more successful than Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar, whoever else they come up with, right? Oh, J J Jason Kelsey would be the perfect vice president, and and uh, uh, go go shirtless. Uh, can you see him? Ha I, I hang, hanging out at like NATO summits. Uh, Can you uh, imagine the rallies? I mean, he would fill stadiums. I it mean, be incredible. And, and be people incredible. say, you know, I, this is the part two, though, Matt. I mean, some of these people in the political world, I go on the news shows, I'm going on them today. They're so fuck up. They're so up in their own shit, right? Where they don't see the power of Taylor Swift or, or Jason Kelsey or The Rock. or whoever. They're so uppity about so many things that they don't realize that Americans are just starving for somebody who, who keeps it real and brings some energy and inspiration. If Dan Campbell ran for something, like oh, how much would that guy fucking crush? The coach of the Lions, how much would that guy crush? I, I'd, I'd run through a wall for that guy. Um, I mean, he should uh, run for mayor and, of Detroit. Uh, I mean, if he, if, I don't know who the mayor of Detroit is, but he should be mayor, governor, the whole fucking deal, right? I mean, who's putting Detroit on the map like Dan Campbell? Oh, they were so close too. I mean, just heartbreaking. Um, is that? Look, I wanted yeah, to ask you this. I thought about this today. Is that also like? Is that America twenty twenty four? Like we're rooting for Detroit and they fucking blow it. Like they they blew it, right? They did blow it, and they were everybody's yeah. like sweetheart. We wanted it so bad. Those of us who think about all the things around it and Detroit kind of flaming out against the 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 Niners. That's kind of 2024 too, right? To get close, yeah, because nobody, no objective fan wanted Kansas City or and San Francisco. Like this is 
we we had this we had this five years ago. Personally, I think it's gonna be kind of boring. I think KC rolls pretty easily. Um, it you know it, Andy reads Andy, Andy reads fun. Kelsey's fun. Um, but rooting for a dynasty is always hard. Um, it uh, I, but it, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. You know, when we're old guys, I want to ask you about that. Do old guys hate dynasties more than young guys? Because I feel like my kids love this. Like, my kids are loving the, like, my kids love the Chiefs, right? My kid wears a Mahomes jersey. I mean, when I was a kid, I was a Giants fan, but I still loved the Niners, right? Like, I was like, wow, the Niners are awesome. Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, you know, Rathman. I I love the dynasty. Do you feel like older guys get more cynical about dynasties than younger guys? probably in general and also especially if we just survived the Brady years, right? <laughs> like we just don't want to go straight into another one. Um, I will say, you know, as a tortured Browns fan um, who grew up mostly around Niners fans out West. So I, I still have kind of like an old childhood tick, like, like something Irish fatalism or contrarianism, like a, a key part of my personality was formed when I decided to root for the Browns instead of the Niners. Uh, and I've, uh, I've suffered immensely because of that, that decision, but I stand by it. Um, I will say that my youngest son, because here in Tulsa, the Chiefs are, are the big team, and uh, he's uh, he's a big Chiefs fan. He loves he loves Travis uh, Kelsey in particular, and I'm not dissuading him. Um, if, if if this brings him a little happiness and joy, it is not for me to force uh, uh, force otherwise. Whereas his older brother is a Browns fan and and has made that choice, and I I, I don't have my, have the heart to talk him out of it either. Even though I'm pretty sure. 40, 50 more years of misery await because that is just the Cleveland way. It's building um, but, character though, man. Like if I'm in a foxhole, I want a Cleveland fan or a Buffalo <laughs> fan with me. I do like that. That's the real deal. Right. And my kid, my, my four-year-old who's obsessed with sports has flipped it on me completely. And he's a Celtics fan. Um, and, and anybody who's, I don't know, knows me knows my little guy is just obsessed with the Celtics. And, yeah. and it's not because he wants to give a middle finger to me. It's because they were winning when he was little. And because he thought that Jake from State Farm was Jason Tatum. And he had been so, he'd been seen so many State Farm commercials with Jason, with, with, with Jake, you know, not, not black Jake, not white Jake, right? When they changed Jake from State Farm, he was always on TV and they're like, oh, Jake from State Farm. I said, no, son, that's not Jake from State Farm. It's Jason Tatum. And he said, oh, well, I like him. That's when he was two and a half and it stuck. Yeah. And now he's a Celtics fan, which is like kind of a middle finger to me. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, no, and you're just happy they're happy. And, they, 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 you know, they're they're enjoying the game, right? Like, uh, it, it's it's just kind of a great way to to participate in something with your with your kids. And and you know, if the Celtics don't get it done this year, uh, I, I I don't know. You might have to might have to start preparing for heartbreak because that team is loaded. And you know, there's only so many years you can have ex- excuses about being too young or whatever. Like, if if they can't pull it off this year, I don't know. Maybe. I want to stay. I want to stay on sports with you for a second because we don't do it enough on this show, and I think it's great and it's important and it's fun, and you're great on it. How fun is the NBA right now? Like you know, I was at the Nets game last night. My buddy gave me his tickets, and we went. And my one kid was sick, but he wasn't going to miss it. We went and watched the Nets play against Luca and Kyrie, who were both fucking dominant. Every time Kyrie got the ball, everybody booed him. And I had to explain to my son the whole it's because Kyrie was an anti-vaxxer and a selfish player who sat down when his team needed him and missed every home game. And then you've got Luca, who's really unbelievable. Like I watched him warming up, man, and they were having so much fun. 
Like that team is bouncing the ball up for dunks and shooting from the stands. It really felt fun, but it, it feels like we're kind of in a golden age of the NBA. Uh, does it feel that way to you? Yeah, from a like it's, it's like skills based, right? Like uh, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the way people can shoot and move now. Like it's just it's it's it's, it's beautiful basketball. Um, I watched a, a couple weeks ago the OKC Thunder, which are our local team here, play the Spurs. So you you had uh, uh, Wembenaya and Chet Holgram. I mean these these are two teenage kids whose skill level is unbelievable. They're you know they're they're monsters. You know uh, uh, seven foot plus. Uh, have some filling out to do still, but like, can you imagine these guys in ten years? Um, uh, it, it's it, it is. Yeah, Wabayama's like seven four and and running the floor like a point guard. I mean, <laughs> behind the back shit. I mean, they're also just like physical freaks, right? Like, I feel like this is like the evolution of humanity in twenty twenty four, where we're finding these people and you know and, and building these people. I mean, Luca's a six foot eight point guard or something, right? Six foot nine point guard. He's gigantic. It's 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 a freak show, right? And they're from all over the world because the the, yeah. the game the game the game has gone international, right? Like gone gone are the days of discovering 14, 15 year old Dikembe Mutombo and then trying to teach him up. Uh, Lucas from Slovenia, been playing since he was a kid. Uh, you know, Victor's from France, been playing since he was a kid. Uh, Chet's from Wisconsin. Um, you know, like it, it's uh, it's it's a cool thing, and and in its own strange way to uh, link the conversation. It's it's a reminder reminder that America American soft power uh, remains you know as as much as maybe fraying in other places American soft power remains undefeated. We are, we our our culture our sports our our music it, it's 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 everywhere. I love um, that. I love that, and I want to stay on that because I think it's true. America's soft power is undefeated. If if you haven't coined that phrase, that's yours, man. Put that on a t shirt and use it at every book event. But there's also a point in this too where. There aren't a lot of assholes. Like there are some guys getting in trouble. You got John Morant getting busted for a gun, but there are a lot of positive role models out there. I feel like more, you know, you got a guy like Mahomes. Like he's a great dude, right? Like you got a, a guy like Luca J- Jalen Brunson here in New York. I mean, there's so many of them. Um, you know, my son soured on Max Verstappen, the F1 driver, when he was like seven or so, because Max is an asshole and he talks to people rudely. And but he's a he he's a rarity. Like we used to complain about. You know, Ray Lewis was featured at the at the at the Pro Bowl recently, right? I mean, when I don't have Ray Lewis around, we've got these guys now from all sports that are really Aaron Judge is another great example. Shohei Otani, these folks that are really great role models, right? Yeah, I don't know. Almost makes me maybe I'm maybe I've gotten old. I almost miss miss having villains. Um, yeah. uh, you know, kind of it, it adds like a WWE element of like. You know, say what you will about Tom Brady, uh, uh, and God knows I've, I said plenty of things about him. Um, he was fun to root against because he he was good and he knew he was good, right? Like yeah. that, that kind of cocky edge. Um, uh, you know, Patriots fans loved him for it, deservedly so. Uh, and he was fun to root against that because of it. And it, you know, it made when uh, Goofy Eli beat him twice uh, all the more memorable. Um, uh, Kobe. Uh, and know, we've Kobe. got real villains, right? Like it feels like we've got enough real well, villains yeah, in the world part, maybe, that maybe we don't need the villains too. in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, so yeah. let's. You're going to stick around for a couple extra questions for our Patreon members. Final prediction uh, again: Go get Daybreak. Uh, root for Matt. He is a role model, and he is a great voice and a great leader for our country. What's your final prediction on the game on Sunday? Chiefs 31, Niners 20, uh, and not just because the NFL wants the Chiefs to win, just because 
it's a quarterback driven league. And like, I know Purdy's a, it's a cute story and everything, but Patrick Mahomes is on, on track to be the goat and always, always bet on the better quarterback in a big game. You got it. I mean, you and I've talked about this thing. They used to say defense wins championships in the NFL. It doesn't anymore. Quarterbacks do. And in the NBA, defense doesn't win anymore. Scoring wins, right? It's flipped. But I think it it has. This is a a golden age for sports. It's a golden age for the need for people to read books again, right? So I want to encourage everyone, check out Matt's book, support him. Um, Thank you for all you do, my friend. And thank you for keeping it real. You always keep it real. And you stitch together the pieces in, in such an important way. You're really one of the most important writers and voices of our time. And I'm grateful for your friendship and and for just always coming on the show and having a good time with me. I wish you all the best with the book and the best to your family. Thanks so much, Paul. Always a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I'm grateful for your friendship as well. And, uh, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give Annie and the boys your love. I'm going to pick the same score. I, you actually, I was going to say by 10, so I'm, I'm with you, man. I say I say Chiefs win it. You know, uh, the MAGA folks are going to have a bit of a heart attack, and, and uh, you know, Taylor Swift is the ultimate marketing uh, genius. I mean, the, there's no way the engagement isn't coming in the next year, and she doesn't play the Super Bowl next year, right? <laughs> That, yeah. Oh, that's that's amazing. And I, I think the internet would melt if at like at the post game celebration while the Chiefs are celebrating, she takes she takes off a Chiefs sweatshirt to, to have a, a Biden Harris. Uh, oh. oh my God! People would lose their mind. Well, in the real, I, I'm going to make a way out there prediction because you do this in your books. What's really going to be interesting is President Wes Moore at the American Olympics in L.A. That's going to make some the internet melt, and who knows what's going to happen with that. But I, but I see this coming. If anybody watched Wes Moore around the Ravens this year, it's coming. And I, you and I both know him. We root for him. I think this guy could be president by next time when we have the Olympics in L.A. So look for Love that. Wes. Thank you, Matt. Stay vigilant, my friend. Thanks, Ian Paul. Matt Gallagher, ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite people in America and one of my absolute favorite authors of all time. Be sure to check out his new novel, Daybreak. Get it right now. Support an important author. Support America. Support an American veteran. And support a guy doing good stuff. He's a lot of things, including a true helper. Always look for the helpers. There there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. If you see one that inspires you, use the hashtag look for the helpers on social media and give me a shout. And as I said before, go check out independentamericans.us for video of this conversation with Matt. You can also find us on YouTube, Spotify, and everywhere else you get podcasts. And look for me every Wednesday on News Nation at 3 p.m. with Connell McShane. We'll break down the latest in politics and news. And check me out most Wednesdays, some Fridays, and other random days on MSNBC's Deadline White House. We're going to keep speaking truth to power. We're going to keep covering the national security and domestic security issues that matter We're going to keep representing for America and for independence everywhere because we are a team on the rise. Our independent movement is the hope for the future, 
and our movement is growing in this Super Bowl week especially. If you like this episode with Matt Gallagher, share it far and wide and invite others to join our team and declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. We're all in this together, especially this Super Bowl week. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Stay vigilant, America. And enjoy the Super Bowl. Let's go. Powered by Righteous Media.